Welcome to Him for Her Radio, women's hot topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Should Burry. What happen if you say what you want to say? Are you listening? Because today we have a topic that I have been asked to bring to you by more than one person. I'd say at least five to ten. John, thank you so much for being here producing with us today. You are welcome, Shug. And this is a hot topic. My name is Shugbury, and I'm the host of Him For Her Radio, Women's Hot Topics. And there is not a topic that we really are afraid to bring to the surface so that we can talk about it. Now, what I want to say up front is that everybody has differing opinions on this topic. And so I want you to just listen with an open heart. I want you to trust the Lord, the Holy Spirit, that he's going to speak to you through this. But today's hot topic is the great debate. Should women preach and lead? Yep, you heard me right. Should women preach and lead? And why am I talking about that? Because some people believe that scripture says otherwise. So we're going to talk about that hot topic today. And we are here with two scholarly people. I'm so blessed to have you guys here. We are here with Nick Shazer and Reverend Melissa Shazer. You guys, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Shug. Thanks, Shug. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, Now, I just want to share a little bit about Nick, if I could, first. He's a visiting assistant professor of Jewish studies at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, and a professor of biblical studies at the Israel Bible Center, an online teaching institution that is based in Israel. Now, this guy knows his stuff when it comes to Scripture. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself as well that I haven't covered yet? Sure, Shug. Um, so I, again, I'm a professor at uh, McAllister College uh, in St. Paul, and I uh, work in biblical studies, particularly in the in what academics call the Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament, and also in Jewish studies, that is the Jewish interpretation of the Bible after the time of Jesus. I graduated recently, I graduated in 2017 from Vanderbilt University under um, a wonderful New Testament scholar named Amy Jill Levine, who is a, uh, a practicing Jewish woman who is also a scholar in Jesus and the New Testament. So it was a wonderful experience, and I I gained a lot from her insight, and I hope to offer some of that insight today. So ladies, can you tell? I bring in the experts, because it is not going to be my opinion today. Even though I have a lot of opinions, it's not going to be my opinion today. But you know, it's kind of romantic in here, because Nicholas's wife is with us as well, and her name is Melissa Shazer. She is a pastor of Congregational Care and Lay Empowerment, I love that title, at Christ Presbyterian Church in Edina. Before joining the pastoral staff at CPC, Melissa earned her Master's of Divinity degree from Vanderbilt Divinity School and served as a hospital chaplain in Nashville, Tennessee. She is particularly interested in using biblical preaching and practical theology to support and strengthen the church. Again, today's topic is the great debate, should women preach and lead? Again, you guys, thank you for coming on board. Pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you. I can't wait to get into this topic. And why am I saying that? It's because oftentimes people read scripture and they're like, Shug, you're an evangelist. Why are you preaching? Because it says otherwise. Now, where am I going to quote from? I'm going to quote from 1 Timothy 
2, verse 12. And it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Well, you guys know me by now. It's difficult for me to be quiet. Can you share with us, Nick, just a few things about Scripture and about the Old Testament and New Testament of what you've learned about women preaching, teaching, and leading? Sure. Well, Shug, the, the text that you cited from First Timothy, I think we have to remember, is towards the end of the New Testament. So rather than taking that out of its context, I think the best thing for us to do is go back to the beginning of the Bible and see what the full witness of Scripture actually gives us. Now, the, the first comment about gender dynamics that we see is obviously in the book of Genesis with the story of Adam and Eve. And in that story, the writer of Genesis really bends over backwards to show a fundamental equality between the genders, between men and women. And there's a few different ways that the writer does this, one of which is when God says it's not good for the human being to be alone, I will make an ezer konegdo in Hebrew for him. That is a, an equal helper. And uh, lest we get the uh, the idea that a helper here is the woman helping around the household or helping in the kitchen, um, the word in Hebrew, ezer, uh, outside of this passage in Genesis, is actually used to describe God. That is, God is Israel's helper. And so it's not a term of submission. Um, it is, uh, it's a term actually of empowerment. So the woman is the ezer konegdo, the equal helper for the man. And actually, in the creation of the woman, it's said often in English translations that the woman is uh, taken from a rib and built uh, from one of the man's ribs. Well, uh, it's not precisely what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew word for that's often translated there as rib is tzela. And um, of the 40 sometimes it appears in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, uh, it always means a full side of something. Mm. As a, um, in, in point of fact, in the world of biblical Hebrew, uh, there is no word for a specific bone or a specific rib in this case. Um, for example, in the building of the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus, Moses is told to make it, out, make it into four sides, Selah. So an ark doesn't have ribs. Uh, but our ark does have a full side. So the notion is of God taking a full side of Adam and out of that full side creating the woman out of that, that shows a fundamental equality between men and women. And when the two come back together, right, in marriage, they become what? They become besar echad, that is, one flesh again. So the, the Hebrew really expresses a, a full equality here between between men and women. And actually, we don't even need Hebrew to show us this, because what's the first thing that Adam says after the woman is brought to him? He says, Finally, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Mm. Had she just been made from a rib, all Adam could have said was, finally, this is bone of my bone. But the idea here is a full side of the human so that Adam's essentially better half. I mean, that's where we get that, that mm -hmm. phraseology. When they come back together, they become uh, one equal person again. So right from the beginning of Genesis, we've got a fundamental declaration of equality. And this kind of thing you know, uh, just kind of goes uh, in a sort of snowball effect as we get further into the Old Testament. For example, we've got examples of female prophets in Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. Well, to be a prophet was a, a leadership role in ancient Israel. It was a very, very important role in Israelite society. As a prophet, you are literally God's mouthpiece. You speak to the rest of the society for God. We also, interestingly, and this text doesn't really get brought up very often, but it's Exodus 38.8, and it has it discusses women who minister or serve in a priestly way at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That word in Hebrew for minister is tzava, and it literally is the word for priestly service in the temple. So we do have uh, roles for women in, in prophetic ministry and then also even in cultic ministry. Um, and also we've got, for example, female judges in Deborah, who's also a prophet. This is Judges chapter 4 and 5. 
The text says that she would sit under the palm of Deborah. She had a whole tree named after her. And uh, all of Israel would come to her for her to make judgments for them and decisions. That is, by definition, she's in a position of authority over them. And also she's teaching them certain legal uh, rulings. Not only so, Deborah is also a a, a military leader, uh, according to judges, so much so that her kind of right-hand man, Barak, who's a kind of a also a military leader, says, I'm not going to go into battle without you, Deborah. You have to come in there with me or I'm not going. So we've got all sorts of instances of authority uh, in the Old Testament, and and women populate these roles quite happily, according to to, um, Israelite thought. So the Old Testament, as you've shared with us now, is clearly speaking to women in a leadership position. And why do you feel that possibly the church has such a debate over women in leadership? I think one of the reasons why we have such a debate, and it is because of the verse that you read right at the beginning of the show, and there are other verses that are hard to understand and reconcile with the biblical witness that we have as a whole. And so with this tension in the air, what is your view about these opposing thoughts? Sure, right. So, uh, you know, there's literally a mountain of of scriptural evidence to— Uh, support the notion that women can be and indeed should be uh, in leadership roles. And this extends also to the New Testament, by the way. We can get into that uh, if we'd like as well. But but there are just a a kind of a couple texts that that seem to be used over and over uh, and gone to as, you know, quote unquote, proof that women should not be in these roles. One of which, Shug, you cited at the beginning of the show, that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses, well, really verse 12. Um which says, I can just reread it here, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay, so there's our text. That's uh, 1 Timothy 2.12. Well, the issue is, is that, as I've noted with the Old Testament texts, and I can multiply them over and over, women teaching in the New Testament. For example, Priscilla and Aquila, this couple together. Um, There's a, a classic story in Acts chapter 18, in which uh, a, a Bible scholar named Apollos, a Jewish man from Alexandria in Egypt, is teaching in a, in a, uh, a worship setting. And it says that he, he's, he speaks with boldness and he knows what he's talking about, but he only knew about the baptism of John the Baptist, not about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So what the text says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard this Bible scholar teaching, after he was done, they took him aside, and Priscilla and Aquila taught him the way of God more accurately, the text says. And notice, Priscilla gets top billing here. It's Priscilla and Aquila, her husband, teaching this man Apollos. It doesn't say that Priscilla is dragging her feet behind her husband and not speaking up. So we've got, and we could multiply these examples. So even in the New Testament, we've got instances of, of women at the helm and women in authority and women in autonomy and indeed women teaching. So the, the point is, what do we do now with a text like First Timothy chapter 2 that says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority? Well, you know, we, we come up against uh, this text and it seems to be in tension with these other texts. Well, you know what? We've actually got a good paradigm in how to deal with this kind of phenomenon in Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus employs um, what's called in Hebrew, barishonah, uh, which literally means at the start in Hebrew or in the beginning. And he's posed a question uh, and uh, his audience asks him, why is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? Um, why did Moses allow us to write a certificate of divorce mm-hmm. and send our, our wives away? Well, they're citing Deuteronomy 24.1 there. And in response, Jesus says, well, 
that's what it says in Deuteronomy. But from the beginning, Barishonah, this was not so. And he cites Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that is, Jesus is, is posed with two texts that seem to be in tension and says, yes, Moses says this in Deuteronomy, but from the beginning, this is what I'm going to go with, mm-hmm. um, it was not so. Thus, you probably shouldn't get divorced, right? Yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, so, so we could apply this then to 1 Timothy chapter 2 to say, okay, so we're at the end of the New Testament here. We've got, we've got Timothy chapter 2 saying, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. And a response might be, well, from the beginning... Right. It was not so. Mm -hmm. Um, In point of fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 says the reason Moses issued this in Deuteronomy 24 was because of a hardness of heart. And it's interesting if we take a quick look at the broader context of First Timothy at the beginning of the letter, we see that the whole reason for the letter actually is a response to the problem of a hardening of heart among the people under Timothy at Ephesus. Here's First Timothy chapter one, verses three through six. Paul says to Timothy, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion. So the whole point of the letter is to try to promote a pure heart as opposed to this gradual hardening of heart of some of the people at Ephesus to whom Paul is is addressing. So... um, it, it even seems that a, a text like First Timothy 2 about not permitting a woman to teach could possibly be given in the context of the problem of a hardening of heart, just like Jesus talks about mm-hmm. in Matthew 19. So, ladies, if you're just tuning in, my name is Shugbury. This is Him for Her Radio, Women's Hot Topics. And it, we're getting a foundation right now. I want you to hang in here with me. The topic is called The Great Debate, Should Women Preach and Lead? And it's going to be two parts. I want you guys to understand the biblical basis before we really get into the meat of it, of which we're going to be bringing in Reverend uh, Melissa Shazer as well to this. And I just am so thankful for Nicholas Shazer for sharing all of his biblical um, Jewish studies that you do and that you've done. I just find it so informative as we look at both Old Testament and New Testament uh, through the lens, not only of the Hebrew um, language, but as well uh, Greek, too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm just going to get right to the meat of it. Why does the church still have such a problem with this? Well, I think, honestly, um, it's often easier for us to go with a soundbite mm-hmm. from the, the vast mountain of Scripture that we have than to step away, take a bird's-eye view, and actually imbibe all of the witness of Scripture. That's hard work. What's easier work is to pick, you know, First Timothy 2.12 and say that settles the discussion. It's actually harder work to take things in context because we have to remember that verses only have meaning in context. Mm-hmm. So what we should be doing is familiarizing ourselves with that broader context and, and just knowing that, you know, there's all sorts of scripture that approves of female authority and teaching and autonomy and leadership in ancient Israel and also in the church. And in and, and point of fact, when we just go to First Timothy, for example, and I don't want to keep picking on First Timothy, but mm-hmm. we're talking about it. There are certain churches today that even identify themselves as a, quote, First Timothy church. What that means is that's code language for we don't let women preach. Right. Well, if, if you are just thinking about First Timothy and having the buck stop there. 
what we're literally doing is ignoring the rest of what God is trying to tell us. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very troublesome thing to do. That is the best thing that we can do is try to take all of it in at the same time and to make informed decisions about the whole witness of the text. Unfortunately, that's tough work. Mm -hmm. That's hard work. Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes we don't love to to work that hard. And I would also say that I think it's, uh, easy for us to lose sight of what we're missing out on if we choose to follow those sound bites. If we look at those, we don't realize that we then aren't following the model and the witness of the early church, the early church who had women preaching and teaching and leading and instructing. We are in many ways going astray from that model mm-hmm. when we allow those few verses to eliminate women from leadership. And, you know, there's a lot of colleges and universities as well that's, that practice this, that they don't believe that women should have leadership or uh, preach or teach in churches. It's very current. This is not an old-fashioned topic. This is happening. And, yes, this is, you know, 2000, you know 2020. I mean, this is what's happening. And so um, I think it's wrong of us not to have this discussion, not to talk about maybe what that tension is, Nick, as you had, you had talked about in Scripture Um, You know, I have always come from the background where, you know, Scripture is God's Word and it is what it is. But I also do understand as well that we need to look at the whole picture of the Bible. And you think of it like a diamond and you look at the different facets of that diamond. That's the way that the Bible is as well. We have to look at the different facets and what God is telling us through that. So, you know, you might think in your head, listeners, well, I know that this is the answer. Or you might think, no, this is the answer. Well, I'm asking you to keep an open heart and mind as to um, what God's trying to tell us in Scripture. Now, as I was researching this and looking into it, of course, I looked into Beth Moore, some things that happened with her, as well as Anne Graham Lotz. Those are two very well um, common names of women that are teachers. And I do understand that Beth Moore had stood up in front of pastors um, at a congregation um, organization, uh, not to be named, and many of them picked up their chairs and turned their chairs around and put their back to her so that she would not preach to them. They felt that strongly about um, what God's word had said and that her position in this. Now, keep in mind, she was invited to this event where these 800 pastors were of different denominations, and a huge chunk of them picked their chairs up and turned around. What are your thoughts and feelings on that? Uh, Pastor, as you preach in the church yourself? You know, it breaks my heart that women encounter environments like that where men would turn around and and not listen to them and show visibly that they are turning their backs and closing their ears to them. I have to say that I'm in a pretty privileged environment because my congregation loves having women preach. And so I, I am in many ways I'm sheltered from having those types of experiences. But what then happens is that I think our church ends up getting divided even more. If I'm in a congregation that loves having women preach, but there are other congregations that don't, we end up dividing ourselves in even who we're willing to listen to. And I think it's stifling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who on the day of Pentecost descended and dwelled among men and women— And with those tongues of fire was enlivening all of them and continues to enliven the followers of Jesus. I think it's pretty heartbreaking that we would close our ears to what the Holy Spirit could speak through a woman simply because of her gender. And just to pick up what Melissa was saying and support that from a biblical perspective, Melissa mentioned Acts chapter 2 in which the Holy Spirit is poured out. And and they the Peter stands up and says, this is a fulfillment of the prophet Joel in Joel chapter two, in which God says that I will pour my spirit out 
and your on your sons and your daughters, and they will prophesy, and your male servants and your female servants, and they will prophesy. Indeed, God says, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh, both right, both men and women. Um, so the the New Testament and Old Testament paradigm is one of a universal ability to prophesy, to teach. Uh, so just to back up what Melissa was saying there. Do you feel, Melissa, that you've felt a little bit of that opposition um, as you've gone through uh, your studies, et cetera? Have you run into this yourself personally? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I specifically chose the places where I studied on purpose. I went to an undergraduate university that affirms women in their ordination and in their callings. And then I went on to Vanderbilt, where we have men and women who are all studying together and really trying to uplift each other. I know that I made intentional decisions in order to attain an education where I would have that type of environment. And I know that, that uh, those... Uh, environments don't exist everywhere, and all seminaries do not affirm women in the same way. And I think the women who are attending those seminaries are probably facing different challenges than I did. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that I haven't, in my own ministry experience, come up against uh, barriers that I otherwise wouldn't have come across mm-hmm. had I not been a woman. Mm-hmm. But in my education, I largely had professors and mentors and colleagues who were uh, encouraging me and cheering me on. So, Nick, what encouraging words would you give our uh, listeners? And maybe they feel they're called a leadership, but they go or attend a church where they believe that women shouldn't preach or lead. What um, advice would you give them? I would just give them the advice that there's there's biblical precedent for your desire to be preaching and leading. And um, God, uh, just just because you might have been told something along the line um, by someone in your in your upbringing, um, this doesn't mute what the text actually says, what mm-hmm. Scripture actually says. I wouldn't be concerned about going into ministry. I would, of course, uh, think about it prayerfully. I would talk to um, leaders in the church that you respect, um, and I would work through it prayerfully and closely. Um, but I would certainly affirm. Uh, your ability uh, to do that. And I think that the Spirit is calling you to do so. Amen. I think prayer is really the center of all of this. And ladies, if you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've never invited him in your life, or you didn't even know you had a purpose, you know, I love what God's Word tells us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And who's going to get in the way of that? And, you know, who is man that you are so mindful of him, Lord? And I just love the fact that God not only anoints us, he calls us, he gives us authority, and he gives us his power. And so, ladies, if you're struggling with this topic, which is a very hot topic, a great debate, should women preach and lead, I encourage you to get on your knees, seek God in this decision, and invite Jesus into your life. That's the best thing that you could possibly do. And so... um, The prayer is really simple, and it goes like this. Father, I am a sinner, and I ask that you come into my life. Forgive me, Jesus, for my sins. Help me to turn away from my sin and turn toward you. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me, for my sins, for my past, for my rebellion, and you rose from the dead. And now you sit on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and you know what you're doing up there? You're interceding on my behalf. And so, yes, Jesus, I'm going to say yes to you today. I'm going to say yes for the calling that you have on my life, and I am going to follow you all of the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Ladies, if you said that for the first time, tell somebody else. 
Get into a church that speaks to you. Get a Bible. I encourage you to come online uh, to himprisonministries.org and tell us if you said yes to Jesus for the first time today. And most of all, ladies, I want you to hang on because you got the greatest joy ride in front of you. Now, we're not done talking about this topic. We're going to do a part two. And we're really going to get into God's calling, uh, your anointing, your authority, your spiritual leadership, as well as spiritual gifts that God gives you. We're going to talk about that with Nicholas Shazer and Reverend Melissa Shazer. Stick with us. I'll see you in a minute. 